0: Hey, this is a radio program called The Official Tapes, where we get into the official releases from The Grateful Dead, breaking into the vault and hitting the airwaves. Every so often, we catch up with uh, somebody who's really close to The Grateful Dead. As we approach this new normal and we're back to uh, live music, live music making a slow return from COVID-19, we got a hold of a touring musician. It's Wayner Scheller, and the band is Rainbow Full of Sound. We'll get in and hear about what his band is all about. We'll get into Weynard's resume, some of the musicians and bands that he's uh, toured with. But more importantly, we'll hear about how he is making a return from COVID-19 and making a return to live music. We'll get into this here on The Official Tapes. I started to think about what theme I'd like to use, and it made sense to kind of focus on the recreating tours because it was a unique idea and not a lot of bands were doing it, so I thought of what tour I would like to recreate and Europe 72 was the first one that came to my mind because it's always been my favorite live album It was about three years ago when I started to develop it and I worked on it for about nine months and we launched on February 6, 2020 We launched the first Europe 72 recreation tour and we did half the tour and COVID hit and shut us down. So, you know, we were on a break for over a year, you know, and then little by little started to develop the relaunch, which is September 28th. We're relaunching the tour. So that's kind of how it all came to be. This is our biggest tour yet, because it's 10 states. Our farthest city north is Waterbury Center, Vermont. It's right near Stowe. And then our furthest city south is Key West. The first half is mostly in the Northeast. And then on November 4th, we play Roanoke, Virginia. And then we go to Durham and Atlanta and Charleston, South Carolina. and Then down to Florida, we do six shows. I actually booked the entire tour myself. So not only am I you know the keyboard player and one of the singers, but I'm also the agent you know and the manager and the tour manager and the lighting tech and we have projections and visuals that we do on stage, and I do it all from the keyboard so at this point I'm doing like five I'm wearing like five hats you know. <laughs> kind of take the approach where we tell the audience in advance what show we're going to be performing. So that's part of our promotion and marketing. Different groups, they kind of keep it a secret and they have the audience try to guess or whatever, which is cool too. I, I mean, I like that. I think it's fun, you know? I like that approach, but this is the way we decided to do it. It's logical to just let everyone know in advance what show we're going to play because if they really wanted to, they could obviously just go look, and they could say, "Hey, this is their first show; they're going to do the first show of the tour." It's, you know, so we give them the answer up front, and um, it's cool because a lot of people, you know, they come and they know exactly what the next song is going to be. And that's one of the reasons why they, for example, may come to the show because they want to see the show recreated song by song. And it's cool to see, like somebody will yell out the next song that's coming up and they already know what it's going to be right before we even play it. But a funny thing was, like, we recreated the yellow dog story.
1: Now what I think I'll do is I'll take this opportunity to tell you all a story. Because <clears throat> you all haven't heard it yet. And it goes like... goes like this. There was a, there was a fella and he had a dog, a pet dog and he used to walk his dog around every now and again and anyway well it was a hot summer day and he was walking his dog and he thought he'd stop off at the bar and have himself a beer and he did just that he walked into the bar and he walked up to the bar and he put his change on the bar and he said to the bartender I'd like a glass of beer the bartender said certainly, sir, coming right up Meanwhile, while he was waiting for his beer, he looked down the bar, and there was this fella sitting down the bar with a big, black, slick, mean-looking dog. Now the fellow down the other side of the bar with a short, fat, squat, ugly, little yellow dog said, nothing. But the guy with a big, black, slick, mean-looking dog looked down the bar, and the guy with a short, fat, squat, ugly, little yellow dog said, uh, hey, that sure is a ugly little dog you got there, mister. All short, fat, squat, ugly, and yeller. Well, the guy with the short, fat, squat, ugly little yellow dog said to the guy with the big, black, slick, mean-looking dog, "Said, yeah, well, he may be ugly, but he sure can fight." And uh, the guy with the big, black, slick, mean-looking dog said to the guy with the short, fat, squat, ugly little yellow dog, "Said, yeah." The guy with the short, fat, squat, ugly little yellow dog said, "Yeah." So they decide they take them both out back behind the bar and let them fight it out. I'll put a five on mine, you put a five on yours. Winner, take home the bucks. They figured that was a good idea, and they did just that. They took them out in the back and they let them fight it out. And the short, fat, squat, ugly, little yellow dog just kicked kick you know what out of the big, big, black, slick, mean-looking dog. And when the fight was over, the big, black, slick, mean-looking dog was over in the corner licking his wounds. Short, fat, squat, ugly, yellow dog was hopping around. The guy with the big, black, slick, mean-looking dog allowed his, uh, yeah, the short, fat, squat, ugly, little, yellow dog sure could fight. But I never seen a dog look like that before. All short, fat, squat, ugly, little, and yellow. What kind of dog is that anyway? The guy with a short, fat squat, a little yellow dog, said to the guy with a big, black, slick, mean-looking dog, so, yeah, well, it used to be an alligator For I cut his tail off and painted him yellow.
0: My approach is kind of like we do our homework and we study the recordings, and then we show up and we play. But we don't try to like duplicate it or you know copy it. We kind of let it come out as it does, and and every time we do it, it's kind of a little different. But same with them, you know, everything they did. Every time they played, it was different. They never did the same thing twice, you know. doing the research is part of this, I had to sit down and go through all the websites and all the set lists and try to figure out conflicts between different websites. Like you'll see a set list that has a song and then you look at a different website and they don't have the same exact set list that that other one has. So you kind of have to do the best you can with what you have. I did think of calling people and asking, hey, can you clarify, you know, but that's like kind of getting really deep into it, you know? But we just do the best we can. I mean, it's probably not exact or perfect, but we're just having fun with a man, you know. As long as we're having fun, hopefully people will be enjoying it, you know. But you do have the hardcore, you know, people who are real like technical down to the every single detail, you know? And I do respect that too and appreciate that, you know. Europe 72 has always been my favorite live album. When I first started hearing The Dead was the mid-70s. I was like, I think maybe 14 or 15 years old. And that was one of the albums that had just come out a few years before. Like my older brother had a bunch of albums, so I obviously was exposed to it and through him and then started to like borrow his albums and play them you know listen to it and that was one of the albums that he had and and i just happened to have the opportunity to to listen to it at a young age and i connected with it but you know throughout the years those songs you know because when you're young and you you connect with music it kind of stays with you forever you know another unique thing is and I just read this recently because I knew they did a reissue and they did some overdubs and a remix of the album. And apparently the record label sent a team over to Europe with them to multi-track the shows, you know, the tour. So instead of just recording like a stereo simple recording like some people do or some bands do, they actually multi-tracked the entire tour in hopes that they would have it if they needed it and they wanted to do a live album to recoup some of the costs that they had to spend you know to get the band over to Europe because it was higher than normal, so um when you listen to that album, it sounds like a studio album, and that's the reason why is because they multi tracked in seventy two which was like way before anybody else was doing anything like that. They were really far ahead of their times, you know in many ways. It's really an amazing album, and that has something to do with it because they were able to remix it and it's incredible sound out It almost sounds like they recorded in the studio, you know. As the years went by, I just appreciated the music and the songs that they did on that tour. They evolved as a group from the beginning of the tour to the end. It's only like 2 or 3 months, but yet it's like they came home a different band, you know. And it's really awesome to look at that and understand that I've gone through all of the songs there's over 50 songs total from the entire tour and i've gone through all the songs as the musical director to kind of break down the, the vocal parts the harmonies as well as the arrangements on all the songs and realizing that phil was singing a lot of the high harmonies was one thing that was really cool to to get into um Another thing is like the, the song selection, like you win again, and it hurts me too. And sing me back home. There's a lot of country type tunes in that era. Um, and then some blues type songs that Pigpen brought into the mix, you know. But the song selection was really cool. I, I found it to be a unique era from that perspective, song selection. And as they evolved. They dropped some of the songs, and they wrote new songs, and they changed as a group. But if if you look at just that tour, it's kind of like an individual sound or, or group all on its own. So as I got deeper into it, like, as I got deeper into the 72 material, some of the jams they did and just the energy they had in 72 was one thing, you know, one part of it. Yeah, the energy, man, was off the charts you know I mean I've been you know playing music for almost 40 years and for about 20 years it's been a full-time thing for me I toured the country with John Cadlasick from further in DSO for almost two years and we did three US tours in 2015 and 2016 and I also you know ended up working with Bob Weir Couple times in hot tuna. I worked with the members of Zen Tricksters for about five years, and you know I've worked with a lot of different Grateful Dead type tribute bands. And it, I just got to the point in my life where I I said to myself, it's time for me to do something for myself, you know. And the one thing I've found with Rainbow Full of Sound is the band is made up of over twenty musicians, mostly across the East Coast, from Vermont down to Florida. It's a revolving cast. I am the founder of the group since 2012, and I'm the only constant member. Every other member revolves, and a lot of the shows are different lineups. It all depends on availability of the players. So we started in 2012 uh, recreating the eight Radio City Music Hall shows from New York City in 1980, and it was an idea that I had, and it was a lot of fun. So it evolved from there. When I call people in, I kind of go with my intuition and I follow that and kind of chase the, the chemistry or the magic. So that's how I base the scheduling part of the cast, you know? as I moved forward, it evolved and grew. And then at one point, I'm like, well, I'm managing like 20 people here. (laughs) You know, and it was a lot. So I thought to myself, well, maybe I'll downsize it and go maybe down to 10 or 12 to make it easier for me on a daily basis, you know. And as I wanted to do that, then COVID hit and I had to expand. I mean, it went in the opposite direction because there's so many variables with, you know, the pandemic that it made it even more complicated. So it's bigger now than it was a year ago you know um which is kind of ironic but it's okay you know we're just rolling with it and i meet the people and partially the chemistry personally you know the music and the talent is one part of it but the other connection with the the players and the group um the personal connection and the chemistry personally is also a big part of it you know it It kind of helps to create that energy that you're looking for, which is, I don't even know if I can describe it, but it's just a natural thing that I follow. When we're recreating the Europe 72 tour, I'm covering both keyboard players. Sometimes I layer Hammond with my left hand and I'll layer it over the piano with my right hand. The Europe 72 tour had two keyboard players, which I really liked that part of it, comparing that. To like bands like Bob Dylan or Tom Petty or these different bands, who, the band um, who had two keyboard players where they combined like Hammond organ and piano, for example. But the error in 72, where, where they had the two keyboard players, makes that error unique um, when you compare that to any other error with the Grateful Dead. It's been really amazing because it's such a unique and cool idea. People just seem to really like the idea. So when I share with them what it is, pretty much automatically everyone is interested in it. Our website is rainbowfulsound.com, and we have a tour page on there with all the tour dates and the ticket links. And then even more so on the Facebook page, Rainbow Full Sound on Facebook. And we hope people will come out and enjoy this with us, you know.